Welcome to the Peavine Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Joel Sutherland, so that we can help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. You can always join us in person each Sunday at 8.30 a.m. and 11 here on our beautiful campus in Rock Spring, Georgia. Well, man, that was awesome, praise team. I know it was awesome over in Rossville, too, and we're so glad you guys are there. I started a sermon series a few weeks ago entitled Good to Know, and here's what I'm letting you do. I'm letting you choose my sermon topics here during the summer on things you think would be good to know. Now, you still have time to, um, to submit a topic because I look at those afresh every week and to see if uh, some things have accumulated, and I'm trying to deal with the most asked questions, and so far we've dealt with heaven so far, I've dealt with dealing with regret, and just reminding you, in a few weeks, uh, I'm going to put a, a, our, our glass marker board up here, and probably the most common question I've been asked is about the end of times and the rapture in the book of the Revelation, so I'm going to draw a timeline on uh, uh, the glass board and walk you through where we are and where, where we're going and what's happening in the uh, uh, time ahead, and so um, that'll be just in the next couple of weeks, so you don't want to miss that, make sure that you are here. Today, I want to preach on this subject that you submitted. If I'm saved, I'm saved. I was asked this question so many times. Is eternal security real? Is once saved, always saved, true? Can I lose my salvation? So I want to preach on that today. If I'm saved, I'm saved. Let me dive into that subject. This is a, uh, uh, well, let me, before I show you the picture, the Golden Gate Bridge is a suspension bridge uh, that spans the Golden Gate there in San Francisco. It has been called by the American uh, civil engineers one of, the, uh, one of the wonders of the modern world. If you've ever been on the Golden Gate Bridge or ever seen it, it spans, uh, it really carries Route 1 across the waterway and connects San Francisco to Marion County there in California. And it is called, uh, Frommer's Travel Guide called it one of the most beautiful, uh, certainly the most photographed bridge in the world. Here's a photo that my wife and I took uh, several years ago when we were there. I think it was the second time we were in San Francisco. We, we were standing on the side and took that bridge and we couldn't get a picture of ourselves in it. It's hard to do a selfie. The wind is blowing so hard on the, in San Francisco and even in, uh, near the bridge. The wind is just, just about will blow you down. It, it's kind of a dangerous uh, place to be. This bridge was built in 1937. It was finished in 1937. It, when it was built, it was the longest and tallest suspension bridge in the world. It was 4,200 feet long and it was 746 feet tall. Now, up until this time, there had been an enormous amount of deaths in projects like this. For example, the Brooklyn Bridge, built just a few decades before this, had 30 deaths in it. At this time, the Hoover Dam is being built at the same time. There were 96 recorded deaths at the Hoover Dam. But San Francisco, uh, this bridge came along, and uh, while it was being built, only 11 men died. And that's 11 men too many. But only 11 men died. It was one of the first projects of this kind to implement uh, safety regulations. For example, all the men had to wear uh, hard hats. That was the first time that had been mandated on a construction project. But the big thing that they did was they strung a safety net 
the wider than the bridge, the length of the bridge project, 4,200 feet. It was an enormous amount of cost in the day. And they did it so if you caught a gust of wind and you were blown off the bridge, you would fall in the safety net. Now, 11 men died. 10 men died in one accident when a piece of scaffolding, they had put rivets in the scaffolding that were too small for the scaffolding. The wind blew it off and it took 10 men off the side into the net and it ripped the net and they fell through the net. That of 11 that died, that's how 10 men died. But there were, during the length of the project, there were 19 men that fell off the bridge and lived because they fell into the net. They called themselves the halfway to hell club. And because they felt like when they fell, that's exactly what happened. happened. Now, Here's the interesting thing about this construction project. It was finished early, way ahead of schedule. Why? Because they surmised that production increased 25% over similar projects that had been done about that time. Why? Why was it finished early? Why was it finished uh, 25%? Why did people work harder? And here's what they figured out. Because the men felt secure, they were able to be more effective in their jobs. Because the men felt secure, they were able to be more effective in their life. And listen to me, I think the same thing works in the Christian life. When we feel unsure of our salvation, when we feel unsure of our eternity, there is no way we can make a difference for the kingdom of God. And so while we have questions like this, are we saved and secure? Are we once saved, always saved? Can we lose our salvation if we do something wrong? As long as we're dealing with those questions, we're never going to be sure of our salvation. We're never going to be uh, secure in working for God. Am I working because I've been saved or to be saved? We're never going to be secure in that. And so it's important for you to understand that if you're saved, you're saved. The Bible teaches the doctrine of eternal security. So here's what I want to do today. I want to walk you through seven ways we know we're saved for sure. Now listen carefully. I am not exhausting the subject. As a matter of fact, I'm leaving out some really deep stuff I could have dived into, but I don't have time to do everything this morning. I'm going to give you what I think is going to resonate the most with you today, and I'm going to give you seven ways. So I'd encourage you to write them down. If I'm saved, I'm saved. How do I know that? How do I know I'm eternally secure? How do I know I can't lose my salvation? Let me walk you through them. Number one, here's what we know. You didn't work to get it, so you can't work to keep it. Let me tell you what the Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. The first thing you have to understand about once saved, always saved, is how you got it. Here's the deal. You didn't do anything to earn your salvation, to get your salvation in the first place. All you did was accept and believe what God had already done for you. If you turn to the simplest verse in the Bible, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, God loved you. That's the work he did, that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus died for you. That's the work he did. They did all the work. God did all the work. All you have to do is accept what God has already done for you. You have to accept the love of God. You have to accept the sacrifice of God. Nowhere in that process did you have a part in earning your salvation. Get this, God will not allow it. 
It's all about grace. That's what you do not deserve. It's all through faith. All you have to do is believe and trust. There's nothing you can do to earn it. It is a free gift. Why is that, preacher? Because the only boasting that will ever be done about you getting to heaven will be boasting on Jesus. God will not have us in heaven. You talking to the apostle Paul and said, Paul, I don't know about you, man, but me and Jesus, we got me to heaven. Uh Uh-uh. You and Jesus didn't do anything. Jesus did it all, all to him I owe. It is a free gift that you could not earn. And if I, can't, if I can't work to get it, I don't have to work to keep it either. My wife is the best gift giver in our family. She's really good at giving gifts. And she's really especially good at giving gifts to me. And it seems like every holiday, I'll get a gift that I don't deserve and a gift that uh, is usually I'm not see, I wasn't expecting it. And so she even did that this year. She gave me a great gift on Father's Day. She got me a new set of golf clubs for Father's Day. And Josh and I are trying to pick up golf a little bit again. I haven't played in 10 years and I want to try to do something for exercise. And so I, I'd struggled a few times and she got me, I never saw it coming. I've never owned a new set of golf clubs. I've always just had hand-me-downs or bought a used set or something like that. And so on Father's Day, she unveiled this brand new set of golf clubs and I could not have been more excited. And so I, I said to her, uh, I said, I, I got the golf clubs opening up and here's what I said. I said, Sherry, I promise since you got me these clubs, I'll shoot better. As a matter of fact, if I don't start shooting par in a couple of weeks, I'll give the golf clubs back. I said, as a matter of fact, here, here's my promise to you. If, I'm not, if I haven't turned pro in a year, I'll give the golf clubs back. Here, furthermore, no more, furthermore, Sherry, if I ever shoot a quadruple bogey again, which is about my average score, if I ever shoot a quadruple bogey again, I will bring the golf clubs and give them back. I didn't say that. The first thing I probably did was shot a quadruple bogey when I took them out of the golf course. I didn't say that. Why? Because I didn't earn the golf clubs in the first place. She didn't give me golf clubs because I'd earned them. She gave me golf clubs because she loved me. And she gave them to me because she loved me, which meant I didn't have to uh, keep the golf clubs by continuing to earn the golf clubs by shooting good. No, she gave them to me and she doesn't even know what par is. She doesn't even know what a quadruple bulky is. She doesn't care. She doesn't care anything about golf. She gave me golf clubs because she loves me and I don't even have to earn them from that point forward. Now listen, if my wife will do that for Father's Day, what do you imagine God is doing with salvation in your life? He doesn't hand you salvation and say, all right, I gave it to you, but now you got to earn it to keep it. No, you didn't work to get it and you can't work to keep it. So the second thing we know, number two, we know this, Jesus plus blank is not salvation. Look at Ephesians, I mean Acts 4.12. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You say, preacher, what goes in the blank? Whatever you want to go in the blank. If any word is in the blank, you are not saved. Jesus plus whatever is not salvation. Now, let me, now you, say Amen you don't believe it, look at this. Jesus plus good works is not salvation. You say, well, shouldn't I do good works? You absolutely should. There's no doubt in my mind God intended for you to do good works, but you don't do good works to be saved. You do good works because you have been saved. 
If you trusted in Jesus and your good works to get you to heaven, listen to me, you are lost. Hold on. Jesus plus baptism is not salvation. You say, well, aren't I supposed to get baptized? You are. There's some of you here need to get baptized soon because you, were, you, got, you got dunked in the water as a kid and then you got saved later on and your baptism is not in the right order. Baptism comes after salvation. It is your public declaration of Christ and it is the first thing commanded of you after you've been saved. As a matter of fact, I'll go so far as to say, if you've not been scripturally baptized, God will never use you the way he ought to, wants to use you because you've been disobedient in the very first thing he asked you to do. Hold on. But I don't get baptized to get saved. If you trust in Jesus plus baptism, you're lost. Wait. Jesus plus church membership is not salvation. There are a lot of denominations that they teach you trust in Jesus, join our church, and salvation comes through the church. No, no. Can I tell you this? God is not calling the peavine roll in heaven. He, he's not calling any church role in heaven. You ought to be a member of a church. If you're not a member of a church, you ought to join a church. You ought to join today. You ought to plug in here and serve God through P. Man, we need you. We want you. We need your help, but it's not going to get you saved. Jesus plus church membership is lost. Wait. Jesus plus living right is lost. There are people who bow their head and say, dear Lord Jesus, I want you to save me and I'll live right and we'll get to heaven. No, you're not getting to heaven with Jesus. You're getting to heaven only through Jesus. Oh, wait, wait, one more. Jesus plus holding on is lost. It's not salvation. See, so many people get saved. Here's the idea of salvation. Jesus died on the cross and if I can just hold on if I just hold on to my salvation, I'll be saved when I die. Listen, if you got saved thinking you had to hold on, then you, you are lost. Why? There is no under name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's the name of a person and that's the name of anything as well. No other name will get you. No other act is salvation. Can I tell you this? It is Jesus and Jesus alone that'll get you there. Number three, here's how I know I'm saved. I love this one. I may shout a little bit during this one. Hold on. I'm not holding on to him. He's holding on to me. Look at 1 Peter 1, 5. Who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation to be revealed in the last time. Who are kept by the power of God. Listen to this. I love this. That word kept there in the Greek is a word, uh, is, it has, it's a military metaphor. It, it meant to, uh, of a fortress with strong, thick walls guarded by a battalion of soldiers. A fortress with strong, thick, wide walls guarded by a battalion of soldiers. That's what the word kept means. So, so Peter's using it this way. He says, we are kept by the power of God. Here's what that means. That the host of heaven... The, and the power of God stand against the onslaught of life, protecting our salvation. It's important to realize that this protection is supplied entirely by God who exercises his might on our behalf. It's nothing we could do. We cannot control his power to guard ourselves. And sometimes you hear phrases like this, well, preacher, matter of fact, a lot of our old Southern gospel songs, a lot of our old redback hymnal songs used to talk about us holding on or holding out for our salvation. Hey, if it requires you to hold on, you are in trouble. 
I'm not holding on to him. He is holding on to me. Listen to me. When you get saved, your salvation gets locked into the vault of heaven and the power of God and the angels of God are standing at ready and anybody who wants to try to get your salvation out of the, out of the fortress of heaven has to go through God and the angelic host to get it. And I'm just telling you, it ain't happening. The most secure place in the world, in the world, is Fort Knox. Fort Knox has $137 billion worth of gold, 5,000 tons of precious metals all behind a 22-ton door. Listen, don't let that word go over your head. 22-ton door. There is a 10, I don't know how to, there's a 10-phase combination to open the door. 10 different people have one piece of the combination. You cannot capture one person and get the combination. You would have to capture all 10 people because they all have to enter it sequentially into the door to get the door to open it up. But not only that, if you got all 10 people and got them to open the door, if you were able to break into Fort Knox, you couldn't break out of Fort Knox. Because it's behind armed guards, missile tanks, Apache helicopters, infrared surveillance, video cameras, and concrete reinforced granite walls. If you tried to break in, you could not even get out of it once you got in. Let me tell you how security is. During World War II, it held the Magna Carta, the Declaration of Independence, the U.S. Constitution, the Gettysburg Address, the Gutenberg Bible. It held the crown jewels of the English family and some of the National Reserve of other European countries. I mean, it was as secure as a place on earth could be. And can I tell you, that's nothing. It's nothing. It'd be easier to get a bar of gold out of Fort Knox than it would be to break your way into heaven and get your salvation out. Why? Because you're not holding on to your salvation. You're not guarding your salvation. It is under heaven's lock and key. Somebody say amen somewhere along the way. You're not holding on to him. He's holding on to you. Number four, I know I'm saved for all, forever because eternal life is not eternal life if it doesn't last for eternity. Eternal life is not eternal life if it doesn't last for eternity. Look at John 10, 28. And I give them eternal life. The verb tense is in the Greek means that the moment you get saved, you get it. And I give them. I've already, will you trust me? I give you eternal life. And they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father has given them to me. is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Let's talk about eternal life. Here's a quick definition of eternal. It means lasting or existing forever, without end or beginning, everlasting, never ending, endless. So we are told by Jesus himself that he saves us and gives us eternal life. So let's take a quiz this morning. Look right this way. How long does eternal life last? Eternally. Does eternal life last until you sin again? Is it eternal? Well, wait a minute. Does eternal life last until you sin too much? Hold on. Does eternal life last until you sin real bad? Hold on. Does eternal life last until you renounce Christ. I, I'm going to deal with that in a minute. Does eternal life last until you turn away? 
Did you know that when Jesus died on the cross and forgave you of your sins, you had not committed any of your sins at the moment Jesus died, but he died for them all anyway. That's why Jesus gave you eternal life. Can I tell you this? It's not eternal life if it doesn't last for eternity. Now, I know that's maybe over your head this morning. But if he gives you life until you sin again, is that eternal life? Yes or no? No, it's life until you sin again. If he gave you eternal, if he gave you life until you sin too much, is that eternal life? No. That's life until you sin too much. And Jesus even emphasizes it with this statement. He said, you can't snatch them out of my hand. You can't snatch us out of the Father's hand. You can't never perish. Why? Because you didn't get temporary life when you got saved. The moment you were saved, God placed eternal life in your heart. And get this, eternal life is not something that comes later. Eternal life, you don't get eternal life when you die. You get eternal life when you're saved. You get heaven when you die because you already have eternal life. It starts the moment you trust Christ. And if I could lose it, it was not eternal life. But Jesus didn't say you get abundant life until you sin. Until you lose it, Jesus said, the ones that come to me get eternal life. Here's how we say it in the South, from the get-go. From the get-go. Let me show you the fifth thing we know about eternal security, and that's this. You are bought and sealed and waiting for delivery. Look at Ephesians 1, 13 and 14. In him, that's Jesus, you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also having believed, get this, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the, notice that word, guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession to the praise of his glory. Get this, here's what the Bible says. When you were saved, you were sealed. Now let me walk you through that just a little bit. Look this way. When you were sealed back in the day, a lot of ladies, you think about cannon pickles, like a jar sealed. That, I used to hear sermons on that. That's not what it means. The Greek word sealed there has to do with the signet in sealing a package. Here's what happened. When they shipped a package via courier, now the package could be an item or it could have been a document, either way. And a courier was going to deliver it from this location to that location. The owner and the courier would inspect the package. So let's just say that it is a, some kind of valuable item. They would inspect the item and they would declare the item, get this, I love it, to be free of imperfections. Free of imperfections. And they would, they would declare it to be a, a perfect item. They would then wrap it up in some kind of paper. They would tie a string around it. And on that string, they would pour hot wax. And then the, the owner would take a ring normally or sometimes a stamp. And in that hot wax, they would put the signet of his house. And here's what it meant. It meant if this package arrived sealed... It, is, it was in perfect condition when it left the owner's house. It is sealed and ready to be delivered. So get this. When you were saved, God inspected your life the moment you got saved. And get this. He inspected your life through the lens and the blood of Jesus. It was not your righteousness or my righteousness that he inspected. Praise God. God looked through the blood of Jesus and looked at you. Jesus said, come here, Father. Let me show you somebody. Oh, look at Joel down there. He's a 12-year-old boy. He just got saved. He looks perfect, doesn't he? And Jesus looking 
through the blood, and God looking through the blood of Jesus said, all I see is perfection there. Remember, 2 Corinthians 5 said, he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And God looked through the lens of the blood of Jesus and said, hey, looks perfect to me. Let's seal it up and ship it to heaven one day. Somebody will get excited right there, right? Like I, I can't preach that point without getting all excited right there. And the Bible says this, he placed the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the Holy Spirit said, I'll deliver him. Hey, but not only that, you're not just sealed. Ephesians 1.14 says, you're guaranteed. The word in the Greek is the word erebon. It means to make a deposit. So in a real estate transaction, it is the earnest money on the transaction. It meant the same thing in that day. If you were going to buy something, you often put down earnest money as a promise that you would redeem the rest of it at a date in the future. So here's what it means. You, you'd take a, let's just say it's a piece of property. You'd put down uh, earnest money on it and you'd say, here, I'm going to buy this property from you, but I'm going to give you the full amount on a date in the future. I will redeem it in the future, but here is my deposit. That's yours to keep because I am definitely coming back and redeeming it all at the appropriate time. Hey, so there's such beautiful imagery here. The word Erebon in the Greek is the modern word for engagement ring. Now, back then it was used to mean earnest money, but even today it means engagement ring. What's an engagement ring? When you slip an engagement ring on somebody's finger, you're saying to them, this is my promise to come back and seal the deal. Right? I'm going to walk you down the aisle. We're going to seal the deal at the aisle. And, and this engagement ring is my promise to you that we're going to consummate this marriage at an appropriate time in the future. Listen, there is a, there's a beautiful imagery there. There's a reason the church is called the bride of Christ. Why? God, when we got saved, he slipped an engagement ring on our finger and he said, I, let me tell you this, ladies and gentlemen, I am getting you to heaven one day to be the bride of Christ. A deposit has been paid on you. A promise has been made to you. A guarantee has been made to you. You are bought you are sealed, the down payment has been made, and we're just waiting for our final redemption. Somebody say amen. God's not going back on his word. God's not taking the guarantee away. It, you are signed, sealed. The inspection has already taken place. You're just in transit to heaven. Did you know that? You're just in transit heaven. That's why the Bible says we are not citizens of this world. You're just in transit. Fifth way I know I'm saved, sixth way, is you can't be unborn. John 3, 3, Jesus said this. You know that if you've been in church any length of time, you know this. Jesus said, I, most surely I say unto you, Nicodemus, unless one is born again, born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, you know, John 3 leads us into John 3.16, John 3.17, two of the most gospel-centric verses in all the New Testament. Jesus used that imagery on purpose. He, he wanted this delivered to us. That one of the ways salvation is described is being born again. Nicodemus got confused the way you would have, and he said, well, wait, I can't crawl up into my mother's womb and be born again. And Jesus said, no, no, and I'll paraphrase for you. Jesus said, no, I'm talking about a spiritual birth, a spiritual birth. When you trust Christ as your Savior, you are born again. And can I, can I, can
can I dig really deep biologically here? Once you're born, you're born. You'll never be not born again. You say, what if I die? You were still born. Matter of fact, you have to be born before you die. Once you're born, you're born. I know that I'm eternally saved and can't lose it because of this. I was born into the family of God. And you, when you're born into the family, you can't be unborn. Listen, you can run away. You're still born. You can move into somebody else. You're still born. You can be adopted. You're still born. You can renounce your family. You're still born. But you know what? You're still in the family of God. Listen to me. When my kids were good, they were still born into my family. My kids were good. They were still my kids. My kids were bad. They were Sherry's kids. <laughs> Listen, when my kids got the trophy, they were my kids. When my kids didn't get the trophy, they were my kids. When they were at my house, they're still my kids. Hey, when they were at Samantha's house, they're still my kids. Why? Because they were born in Sutherland. However many times they may change their names. It doesn't change one fact. You cannot be un. Listen, there's so much to say here, but once you were saved, you were born again. Listen, I'm working on a sermon. One of these days, I'm going to preach it. You know, there's only three ways to get into a family. You've got to be born into it. You've got to be adopted into it. And you've got to be married into it. And the Bible says all three have happened to us. And I'm not even dealing with adoption in the family of God today. You are born into it, you're adopted into it, you're married into the family of God. And the reason Jesus used the imagery of being born again is because once you're born, you can't be unborn. But that leaves us with the biggest question I haven't dealt with. And it's the one that's on your heart this morning. Let me deal with it as I close. And that's this. If you lost it, you didn't have it. Look at what 1 John chapter 2 says, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest or it might be displayed that none of them were of us. I know what you're thinking. I know what you're thinking. You're saying, wait a minute, preacher, I know a guy. Man, he says he's a Christian, but he's living in all kinds of sin. And I got a family member and I got a son or a daughter, a grandson, granddaughter. I got a mom or a dad. I got a coworker. I got a friend at school. Man, he says he's a Christian, but he lives like the devil. What about him? He says he says he's saved. I got a family member that is not in church. They've never been to church, don't care about church, but they say they were saved when they were a kid. Listen, I know somebody used to come to church, preacher, and they used to teach Sunday school and used to be a deacon, used to sing in the choir, and, and, uh, but they don't come anymore. They don't even care about God. I, preacher, I know a guy, I know a gal that, man, it may even be you this morning, they're living for the world, and they say they're a Christian, but they live like the devil. Wait, preacher, I, I know somebody that says they used to be saved. Said they used to go to Jesus, but now they say they've turned from God and now they're an atheist and they've renounced Christ and they, they say they used to be saved. What happened to them? Here's what happened to them. They didn't lose it. They didn't have it and then lose it. They never had it. If you get it, you can't lose it. If you lost it, you didn't have it. Imagine me saying this. You can close your Bibles and look this way. I'm coming to close. Imagine me saying this. Imagine me saying, well, I used to be a Native American Indian. (laughs) 
You say, well, that's not possible. No, insert any ethnicity you want to. I used to be a Native American Indian. No. Either you are or you're not. That's absurd to say that you used to be a different ethnicity. Why? Because either you are, follow me, or you never were. Now listen carefully. Here's what's wrong and why we get confused. There is no such thing as a used to be. There are only never were's. There's no such thing as a used to be. There are only never were's. And a lot of those people you have in your mind, you say, but preacher, I know. They used to be in the church. I know, preacher. They say they're a Christian. I know this. But here's what John said. Hey, they were in, they were in here with us. They were hanging out with us. They were playing around with us. But here's the truth. They went out from us. Why? They were a never were. Not a used to be. There's no such thing as a used to be. There are only ours and never worse. I mean, I'm on an 80s kick. My wife and I, if you came to fireworks July uh, 4th, which were awesome, we wore our Reagan Bush campaign t-shirts. And no, we didn't, we didn't save them. We, we, didn't, we, we didn't wear them then. Uh, we went on a cruise to, and we went to Kennebunkport, Maine, and they sell them. That's where the Bush's compound is, and they sell them there, and we, we love those shirts. But let me, let me go throwback 80s on you for a second. How many of you know who this is? <laughs> Say it if you know it. Oh, no. Y'all are awesome, man. Really, really. Fab and Rob. Fab and Rob were a, a group started in Germany. They started to grow in worldwide popularity. Got Josh, go ahead and start the music. Y'all go ahead and start. They started growing worldwide popularity in 1988. And, and, and in 1990, they won the Grammy Award for the best new artist in 1990. Well, there's a problem. They won the best new artist in 1990, but in 1989, right before they won the award, they were singing to 80,000 people in Connecticut at the MTV uh, concert and they were singing their song girl you know it's true have you, you heard that song before yeah so I was going to show video but they, they don't dress really good and so I didn't want to show you the video but Millie Vanilli's girl you know it's true girl you know it's true and it in the record and it stuck and so you see Millie or Vanilli, I don't know which one, and, and they're like, girl, you know it's true, girl, you know it's true, girl, you know it's true, girl. And you say, you're ter- I'm as good, I sing as good as they do in real life. Girl, you know it's true, girl, you know it's true, girl, you, and one of them, Millie or Vanilli, just ran off the stage. And MTV DJ, downtown Julie Brown, went and got him, talked him into coming back on stage. They finished the concert. The 80,000 people didn't even know what had happened. And, and, and just a few months later, they got the Grammy Award for the Best New Artist. But here's the deal. Not one song on any album they'd ever recorded was their own voice. Not one. They're the biggest imposters ever. And in 1990, they were found out and they had to give back their Grammy. 26 different lawsuits were filed against them and their manager who had orchestrated the whole thing. Now, Millie Vanilli went on and tried to release their own album with their own voices. You say, I've, I've never heard of that album, and there's a reason why. 
See, they weren't used to bees. They were never, they were never worse. They were never the real thing. They were never singers. They were never real artists. But get this, they acted like the real thing. But they weren't. They didn't have something and lose it. They never had it at all. What does that mean to us? It means two things. One, if you're here and you know you're saved, you go all out for Jesus Christ. Why? Because there is a safety net under you that God has placed there that you cannot lose your salvation. So you go all out for Jesus. You go all out serving him. You go all out giving him your time. You go all out giving him your energy. You go out with your finances. You go out with your service. Why? Because there is a safety net there of salvation. You can't lose it. The devil's got no claim on you. The second implication is this. Make sure you really know Jesus. Because it's not Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. And it could be that you're here today and you're not a used to be. The fact is you're a never were. So here's the invitation this morning. If you're here and do not, and you're not a member of this church, it's time you took care of that and just joined the church. I'm going to ask my staff guys to come on down. And if you're here today and you want to join the church, I want you seated because I want you to see them at Rossville. You see Rick will come up front. and I want you to come stand up here and I want you to come take one of these guys by the hand and say, I want to join the church. Maybe you need to be baptized. I want you to come tell one of these guys, hey, I want to be, I want to be baptized. If you're in the overflow room, just walk over this way and say, hey, I need to get my baptism in the right order. There's some of you here today that you're saved, but you're not acting like it. And this morning's your time to find a place at the altar and just say, God, I want to go all out for you. You saved me. I know I'm saved. Help me just give my life and heart to you totally. But then there's some of you who need to really make sure you know Jesus. Because it's not church membership and it's not baptism and it's not good works and it's not living right and it's not holding on that saves you. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. So would you stand with me with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? We hope that you've enjoyed the message this week, helping you to apply God's word to your daily life. For more information about Peavine, be sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.peavine.org. Thanks for listening.